Dear Depression, we go way back. I remember the first time I met you. I was seven years old, a pigtailed lover of books, teased for the sneakers my mother could barely afford. The second time I met you was at a house party where a stranger packed himself into my mouth. It was the first time I understand the word ugly. We met again when I learned I had lupus and found out my body now belonged to an incurable disease. And again, when I was sad for the 49th day in a row, I begged you to go away, but you would not leave. You, depression, are my childhood friend. The midnight voices in my head, a slick tongue. You pretend to have the answers, but loving you got me sick, got me suicide watched, got me blue happy pills. Find the nearest ledge, you say. Walk out, you say. Suspend, you say. Wouldn't I be happier dead yesterday? I cried enough to name myself the sad girl again. Lonely has developed an authority where my thoughts are family. Always fussing about the wrong I have done, about the pretty I burned. What I learn of sadness is from you. You tell me boys won't love me, but a fasting rope can you tell me. Lupus is incurable, can't have seven children, can't be hospitalized three times in one year and call that healing you a contradiction, a house of lies. Sickness can do that, it can lie, it can claw. My sadness will not cease, it will not quiet, and I am afraid to die. I am afraid to die. Depression is a house of teeth. It will write you into a story without rest. It will kin you. Comb your mouth into a beautiful haunting and name it a vacant wilderness. But dare yourself, extraordinary human, to run into joy screaming. You cannot have me. You cannot have me. I am not my past. I am worthy of love. I am worthy. I am forgiving myself for not being strong enough to believe in myself. I can tell you, I do not know who my father is. I can tell you, a best friend's father molested me. I can tell you, the number of men I let crawl into my body, but I would rather tell you, I am letting go. I am letting failure go. I am letting loneliness go. I will not give up. You will not silence me. Sincerely, Tanya. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the third episode of the Subtle Thoughts podcast entitled, How's Your Mental? So this uh, episode is basically going to be centered around mental health, trying to erase the stigma of mental health, not only within the Black community, but within the United States overall. There's um, there's a massive stigma as it relates to mental health, um, no matter what your race, religion, creed is. It's not something that is talked about as openly as it should be talked about. So what we're going to try to do here is kind of, as we've done on the previous episodes, is kind of um, build some understanding from the, the perspective of, you know, just just uh, someone that, that relates to you, a common person. We're not millionaires. We're not rich. We're not athletes or anything like that. We're just everyday people like you. But we're going to get this started. So I'm going to turn the mic over to my guests. Um, let him introduce himself. What's up, everybody? My name is Raheem Clark. 
Yeah, for those of you who don't know, that is actually my younger brother. Um, so tell me, um, what are your thoughts on mental health? I mean, you're a lot younger than I am. I got you about a couple years, so we're basically a whole different generation. So um, what was it like for you? Like, do you, have you had any, what you think may be uh, mental health issues coming up or what's the deal with that? I believe my uh, mental health started in high school, probably around my senior year, as most of my other friends did, because you question everything as you go through, as you go out through that year. Am I making the right decision? Should I go to college? Should I just start my career? Sleepless nights, night sweats, head scratching, mood swings every other day. It's something that you can't just turn off, and it's something that's definitely hard to explain. I was talking to my friend the other day who actually battled depression for about three years and still is battling it, and she says it's so tricky because it'll seem like it's getting better for one or two weeks, and just like that, she'll, she'll just sink, just like she's sinking into a couch. She'll just sink. and. Yeah. She can't help it. It's like she has laughter around her. She has love around her. But it's like she's physically there, but she's not mentally there. So okay. I would, my my biggest thing would be depression simply because I didn't get a lot of sleep. That was my biggest thing. I was definitely sleep deprived. I would sleep for about, I would go to sleep around nine o'clock. I would wake up at 11 and I wouldn't go back to sleep until around 4.30 a.m., five o'clock. And if you're in high school in Montgomery County, you know you only got about a good two more hours and then it's time to get up and get to the bus stop. So that kind of, it kind of carried over throughout my whole senior year because I had so many different options and I had so many different opinions coming from other people, loved ones and strangers. And you just don't know which route you want to take. And so I was really mentally burnt out and I couldn't really enjoy my senior year as much as I wanted to because I was already thinking about the future. Did you ever think about talking to a counselor or something like that? I like did. Like a licensed therapist? I did. We had one at school, actually. I did. I uh, aired my concerns to her. And this isn't a knock on my family because I do have a warm, healthy family environment. They did a great job, you know, letting me know that they're there for me and that they I could talk to them about anything. But um, yes, I didn't want to be a hypocrite, so I did because I always preach that you should try to find help, even though it is easier said than done. Because a lot of people just keep it bottled up and it's not healthy at all. So when I was in high school, I did have a counselor and a teacher, actually, a counselor and a teacher that I could talk to about, and it calmed me down a lot. And it did save me some stress, but not all of it. So um, we're going to get into um, we're going to get into the numbers real quick as to uh, mental health and the youth, actually. And the youth is categorized as people between the ages of 12 and um, I want to say like 19, 18. So mental health in young people, of course, is deteriorating. Um, they call it MDE, major depressive episodes. And it's increased actually by 4% in the last six years. More than two, ma- two million uh, young individuals have depression with se- severe impairment. 
depression. It often coexists with uh, other disorders like substance abuse, substance use, anxiety, and uh, disorderly behavior. You definitely see that with uh, with the youth around the country. 13% of the youth um, have suffered from at least one MDE event in the past year. Oregon has the most with about 16%, and only 28% of them actually receive consistent treatment within the U.S. So a big thing about that is with these kids going untreated, and I think that number could be higher as, though, as for those who are actually suffering because this is only like reported cases. Everybody's not going to talk. Everybody's not going to be as open with it because of that stigma. All right. So like even with the, with the numbers that we do know, only 28% are receiving treatment. So there's 70% of them, over 70%, they are not receiving treatment. And if you're dealing with it as a kid uh, in your teens, in your, your preteens, and it's not treated, it's, it's it can manifest as an adult. It's more than likely to manifest as an adult if you're not getting um, the help that you need. Suicidal ideation, that increased in adults. Uh, more than 10 million adults are estimated to have serious suicidal thoughts. And that's a rise of more than uh, 450,000 people from the last year. And um, a big problem with that is people just can't afford the treatment, even if they wanted to, to get the treatment. We have more people that are insured now, but the coverage doesn't really, you know, cover therapy and um, things for your, your mental health. It's more of that, you know, you break an arm or you, you got some type of uh, some type of sickness and mental health is a sickness, but a physical you know, trait it's, is it's more is physical. More. Yeah, it's characterizes something else by most people, even though it should not be. It's estimated that the portion of youth who have uh, private insurance, like I said, are not covered for mental health or emotional uh, difficulties. And that uh, number has doubled. So, and this is uh, all based on um, mentalhealthamerica.org. You can, or .gov. So you can you can definitely um, research that if you want to go to the states who are, I don't want to say leading the charge against mental health. They're probably we'll just say they're I guess the most equipped to handle it at least as far as the numbers are going. And this is based on um, fifteen different categories, and they rolled it all up into one. So. Overall, Pennsylvania, New York, Vermont, Rhode Island, and Maryland are the best states for uh, overall mental health. And if you break that down between adults and children, for adults, it's Hawaii, Iowa, Minnesota, New York, and Maryland. And uh, for children, it's D.C., Pennsylvania, North Dakota, Rhode Island, and Massachusetts. Uh, When we look at the worst states, It'll be Wyoming, Utah, Oregon, Idaho, and Nevada. That's the worst overall states for mental health. Um, They're the same for adults. And uh, when you go with the youth, uh, you just add Alaska and South Carolina to that bottom five. And those are the worst states for mental health. More numbers. We got about 19% of adults that are experiencing mental health or mental illness right now. And that's equivalent to 45 million Americans. And about 5% have severe mental illness. That's why that 19%, 5% have severe illness. But like I said before, it's probably much more because these are only what's being reported and what's being diagnosed. About 8% of adults report uh, substance abuse disorders in the past year, 3% illicit illicit drug use, and uh, about 6% uh, alcohol abuse. 
five percent of adults report thoughts of suicide and i'm i know that number is much higher um and like we said earlier childhood depression is more likely to persist in adulthood if it's gone untreated and there's a there's a bunch of different kinds of mental health disorders the most prevalent one is depression and there's there's different types of depression you know there's a PDD, persistent depressive disorder, postpartum dis- depression in women after they've had uh, children, psychotic depression, seasonal affective disorder, and uh, of course, bipolar disorder. But there's there's a bunch of other things. You know, you got schizophrenia, um, you got borderline personality disorder. That's one of the rare ones. And it's mostly in women. Men have been diagnosed with it. But mostly in women. Uh, yeah. What was that? Yeah, it has. It is found mostly in women. Men yeah. are very rare. So, um, why do you think that people, especially young people, why do you think they don't get the help that they need? Well, the first part, I think, it's not so much as ego as in I want to be strong. I don't need the world to see how weak I am. I don't want to show my struggles to the world or anybody else. Matter of fact, even if it's just another person in a room that's a therapist. I don't need to expose myself to that someone that much. I think, like I said, it definitely has something to do with that. It definitely has something to do with the stigma that is around it. So I did a lot of research in this week or as much as I could possibly do as uh, work was real stressful this week for whatever reason. But uh, I heard somebody say that even though mental health is basically the same as physical health, they're, they're both equally important. If you break your arm and you get a cast, more people are willing to run up to sign your cast and it's oh what happened and you know laughs and smiles you know exactly. after they know that you're okay but when you come out and say hey i'm depressed or i'm feeling this type of way mentally people don't run towards you and the ones that do come the majority of not all of them some legitimately care but um a good portion of them they when they ask you if you're okay it's kind of like it's with temporary. a grain of salt like, and, yeah, it's, like, and, it's, and it's temporary people don't understand yeah. that when it's depression and you ask them how they're feeling that day and they get their feelings out and they talk about it it doesn't end that day it does mm-hmm. not end that day so you can't just be oh are you okay oh i feel for you i'm here a text or call away that really doesn't help in that type of situation because this is a long-term illness that people can deal with for a very long time like i said depression is the big one overall depression is is the big one but then it's 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 not as easy to recognize depression because some people think that they're that they are depressed uh, or they're suffering from depression when in reality you're just sad or you're just you're just grieving. So it's it some event triggers grief. Someone dies, you and it triggers the grieving process. Or you know you break up with uh, your girlfriend or your boyfriend, and of course you're sad. But are you really depressed? Um, those are those are just like events that can happen to trigger sadness or grievance. But um, with depression, there are events that trigger depression. And this is long-term real uh, illness that requires, you know, requires you to talk to someone or, or medication. And, and that's another thing. So prescription drugs, antidepressants have gone up. Yes, The use has gone up significantly, but even with that, the cases for depression have have steadily increased as well. And when you talk about the difference between just being sad and and being like clinically depressed, when you're sad, something can bring you out. When you're clinically depressed or when you are suffering from depression, 
you can't just be brought out by something simple, like right. as simple as, you know, going out for some ice cream or, or buying you like some shoes or your favorite game or, or anything like that. Like clinical depression is, is real. Like you don't, you don't have pleasure in doing the things that you used to do. You feel empty. You feel like the walls are closing in is what I've, what I've read and what I've, what I've heard as far as the research that I've been doing. And, um, I myself have felt that at times. So I think that, and I'm very hesitant to say that I suffer from depression because same, you know, same. I don't want to rain on the parade of someone who is actually suffering from it. So I'm very careful about, you know, when I say that, because I don't think it's as much of depression as it is, you know, me just, just missing family at times because of the career that I have. So, right. because I'm, I'm not around and, you know, I look at things that are going on like family reunions and birthdays and, even when people are are sick or or dying and I can't be there because of you know my job and I get I get down about that because I'm missing certain things but then you know I I know I catch myself and I know what makes me happy I know how to make me happy I have my hobbies I have a bunch of different hobbies that I've um found throughout the years and these are hobbies as it relates to um most of the time is it it related to experience negative experiences that probably should have caused depression. Like my divorce from my wife, uh, that was a sad time. The whole event that, uh, the, the events that led up to it, that we were going through at the time, it was a really hard time. And um, I threw myself into work. That kind of got me through um, trying to make sure that uh, my, my son was taken care of. That kind of got me through. And then we finally separated and there was that void. So I don't want to say it was depression, but there was definitely a void in my life. I got into photography. So that's why I got into photography to, to fill that void as a, as an outlet. And I think that is one of the things that, that could also help people who are actually depressed. So maybe I was depressed at, at that time. Another thing is like you said, talking to someone, a lot of people don't feel comfortable talking to like therapists and all that stuff. And some people can't afford to talk to therapists. Uh, what do you say in regards to that? I well, first I'm gonna start by I'm gonna tell you my I, I heard you say that you do have hobbies to help you get you out of that out of that funk. When I was experiencing depression and tried to pull myself out, I tried to bury it in work, but not only in work, but helping others. And I'm gonna tell you where I messed up at. Where I messed up was when I was helping others, they were feeling better but I still wasn't. So when I would get them to their happy moment, I would still be at my low moment. So when I was out of people to help, it's like, damn, I'm out of people to help. That's the only thing I really wanted to do that can keep my mind a little bit off of it. What do I do now? Mm-hmm. So I honestly had to sit back, relax, and say, what do I want to do? What do you want to do today? By yourself. Go for a drive. Go for a workout. With no one else around, though, because I've noticed about myself that I like helping others to the point where I forget about myself sometimes and that will never happen again. So now I'm to the point where I'll help you. But as long as I'm fine, but as long as that I have myself together, I'm willing to help whoever I can. But if I'm not together, if I'm not together, then I'm no use to anyone. 
Yeah, you can't you can't fill you can't fill someone else's cup if your cup is empty. Exactly. Yeah. So another thing that that I was reading about, no, it was a TED Talk video actually that I was watching, and this guy, he was talking about a, a some research project that they did regarding depression with Native people. So these are people who are still kind of uh, living primitively, you could say, not not living like us in the modern society. So um, they're 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 still like in that hunter gatherer lifestyle and. They're living off the land. They don't use technology. They have no phones, you know, just like back in the, the I don't want to say the Stone Age era, but, you know, the primitive era. Right, right. And they're still living like that. And they they did their research and they were interviewing them. And I think it was very few of them that actually could be diagnosed, had the symptoms to be diagnosed with um, depression. And the number... Amongst their amongst their population was like a hundred times lower than the population of the rest of the world. So what he what the guy um, came up with was that they don't have the Facebook and and all the technology that are pulling them away from social interactions. And he was saying that we aren't equipped to live in the era that we live in. We, we were equipped to be social people. Like face to face social people, not not through a screen or anything like that. We're not equipped to to be as as frantic. Run, uh, live the frantic lifestyle that we live with all with us being always on the go. It's we were made to be a more simpler people. And, and know, he also probably, said, um, and that would probably help. That would probably help face to face. It would definitely help. Yeah. He also he also said, uh, and it made a lot of sense. Um. He said it's a it's a lifestyle thing. It's a it's a cultural thing. And when he said that, he meant uh, like if you are so take the rich and the poor. If you take somebody who's rich and they're used to living a good life, and then they they run into some type of trouble, they'll be more likely to be uh, suffering from depression because they have that good life, and now they're having all these these troubles, and they don't know how to deal with it. Whereas someone who is coming from a poor background, you know, your life's not that great anyway. So you don't have to have something so high to compare to when things do start going bad. It's like, okay, I'm already used to it. So like with those people, he said they experience death, they experience um, sadness and all the other things that we experience, but because they're not so used to living the lifestyle that we live, it doesn't impact them as much. So they grieve but then they get over it. They they have their sad moments, but then they get over it. They're not they're not buried in it. Where with us, it can it can seem like it lasts forever. And with depression, the trick to depression is it makes you think that the worst is happening to you. So and I can be depressed only, right now. And only yeah, I can be depressed right now. And you know, I can feel some type of way, but then I can know like three other people that are depressed. But their pain is not my pain. It's not uh, what I'm going through. It's not as bad. And that's one of the things that that I guess traps you in that that mind frame. Because you think the worst is happening to you. Like when I was going through depression, I used to have had this friend that we would talk late at night, every night, and talk about our day, what we were feeling, what what was going through our head that day. And she would tell me the horrific stuff that was going through her head and what she'd been going through. 
and it's not, and I felt like I was a bad person for thinking this, but it's like, I was like, this doesn't even compare to what I'm feeling right now. I don't, it's, it's not as bad as you may think it seems. I didn't say that to her, but in the back of my mind, I'm like, you have no idea. You got to be careful with that too, because when you, when you come out like that, you can't, and that's a problem I have too. Sometimes I come off too strong to people and I'm very direct at times. And when people are going through that, you can't be too direct with them because then it's like you're attacking and you don't understand. So when they tell you to to try to get people to seek help, you want to do it gently. You want to you kind of give little hints. You want to be very, very um, gentle with your speech to them. You don't want to come off too harsh. You got to be very understanding. And I know like yeah, exactly. sometimes I come off too harsh. You want to be understanding over the judgment because yeah. like you said, you never know what is going on in their lives and you never want to judge a book by its cover because just just because what you see outside of their house at school or in the workplace you never know what goes on behind closed doors so you do want to keep that mind frame whenever you're whenever a person's venting to you i i I have a pleasure of people venting to me all the time and i always take their feelings into consideration and they always feel that i'm a safe place to talk to because there is no judgment and there's always mm-hmm. love and compassion because once once you've been there before, you know how it feels. So you don't want anyone else to feel like that. So you would do anything in your power for them not to feel like that. Um, let's let's get into some of the risk factors for depression, like because with the numbers, like I said, the the numbers are the numbers, but I believe that it's a lot more. I, I think it's a lot more people that are out there struggling with depression that aren't getting the help for it. Um. So it could be a personal or, or family history. So you can, it, it, it does, you might have that, I guess, I don't want to say hereditary gene, but you know, if somebody in your family is suffering depression, depression you could be susceptible to it as well. Um, as well as just like major life changes or trauma or, or different types of stress or, you know, physical illness and medications can actually bring on depression as well. So you got to watch what you're taking. Yeah, I want to uh, read up on these side effects of these yeah. drugs. What, what's your what's your opinion yeah, on that like med- medication prescribed? What do you what's your opinion on that for depression? I think well, I, that yeah. Um, because I, when I was a kid, I was um I was prescribed uh, Ritalin for ADHD. I think that's what my mother said, and she actually took me off of it because she said that she didn't like the way it made me uh, feel. Mm-hmm. Like she didn't like how I was reacting when I was on it. She said it like just kind of made me like zone out and feel like a zombie or whatever. I think that. There needs to you need to medicate. Um, I don't think that everybody needs to medicate, but some people actually do need it. But the the thing about that is, medicine doesn't just fix the problem. It it it's only part of the solution. So if they're if you're on medication, you also probably need to be talking to somebody, or you need to exercise daily, because um, exercising is good for you and it definitely helps. Some people don't. A lot of people don't exercise. And a lot of people are depressed and a lot of people just go get that medicine and they think they're going to pop that pill and, and gonna go that's away. it. Yeah. Yeah. Everything's going to go away. And it's, that's not the case. So once you do, once you use that pill, it makes you feel the way you you feel until the effects were off and then you need more and then you build up a tolerance and then you need more. If you're just thinking a pill is going to work and that's the problem with society, whether it's weight loss or, or antidepressants or, or anything like that, they, they think, think that it's going to just go away in a magic pill. 
and we have all this stuff that we want to say about the pharmaceutical industry, but you're not doing the other things that, that come with that as well. So, and all you're doing is relying on that pill. Like I said, I think that they're probably prescribing too much, but you have to give people that medicine. People need to to take that medicine and they need to take it as directed and not abuse it as well. So there's there's different factors in that. And like I said, they also need to be exercised and it's a, it's a regiment. It's a whole regiment. It's a process to try to pull yourself out of that. And, a, and one pill is just not going to do it alone. Yeah, most definitely, most definitely. So um, signs and symptoms, like if you are experiencing some of these things, you're probably you're probably susceptible to being diagnosed with depression. So persistent sadness, anxious or an empty mood, feeling hopelessness or pessimism, irritability, feelings of guilt, worthlessness or helplessness, loss of interest or pleasure in hobbies and activities, decreased energy or fatigue, moving or talking more slowly, feeling restless, having trouble sitting still, difficulty concentrating, remembering or making decisions, difficulty sleeping, early morning awakening or oversleeping, it it messes up your circadian cycle. Um, Appetite and or weight changes, whether you're gaining weight or losing weight. Some people just get depressed and eat. Some people get depressed and they don't eat. Thoughts of death or suicide or suicide attempts, which is a big one. Aches and pains, headaches, cramps, digestive problems without a clear physical cause and or do not ease uh, even with treatment. So if you're if you're depressed, it changes your brain and it sets off chemical imbalances in your body. And if it goes untreated for a while, you can develop physical symptoms and physical signs and your health can deteriorate. As far as, you know, extreme cases of depression, they lead to suicidal thoughts and Sometimes they even lead to suicide. We have like a million people that die around the world, at least, you know, due to suicide. That's just annually. That's the thing Um, that sucks the worst about this illness is because sometimes you can recognize it too late or you cannot recognize it at all. You can't recognize it at all. And then one day it just pops up and that person is dead. And that's the thing that sucks the most about this illness. Yep. Some people hide it. Some people hide it very well because they they don't want to be judged. They don't want to be looked at differently. You know, it's sometimes it's the ones that sometimes you see it clear and sometimes you don't. Somebody can be happy one day and then they're making plans and all that stuff. And then the next day you're getting a phone call. I've had a couple of people that have passed away due to uh, suicide. And um, and in much of the cases, it was shocking. Like it just came out of the blue and it's like, wow, like I never knew. I would have never thought that this person would have done this. And and it, it like I said, it's shocking. It didn't hurt me to the point where I was like grieving because, you know, I'm older now and the way I look at it is like, you never know what someone's going through. And sometimes people just, you can't define their pain. And when it happens, like I said, it's shocking to me, but it's not shocking to me. So I've had some people who have attempted suicide and were unsuccessful or were talked out of it through intervention. And that's another problem that we don't, um, we, we're trying to address it. And there's, there's a lot going on at face value, but until you're really in that situation, where you have somebody who is thinking about suicide and you're trying to to talk them down or 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 trying to help them out it's it's very exhausting very having been in that position to to try to help somebody 
it is very, it takes a toll on the person that's trying to help. Most it definitely. is very exhausting if you have not done it. Uh, um, if you haven't done it, count yourself lucky. Yes, it is. It's exhausting, but it's a kind of exhaust that you're going that I dealt with because that's how much love I had for this person. And I've had people text me in the middle of the night saying that they couldn't go on and anything like that. And being the person I was, I took them on. You know, I pulled up, we talked, everything like it does take a lot out of you, but. I just, I guess for me, the satisfaction comes when I see them get through it and I see them make it because I've never had lost a friend due to suicide, thank God. But I have had friends come up and tell me that they were thinking about it. And it's really scary because it's like, if you see this person every day, whether it be at school or out just outside the house or at work, and they're thinking of taking their life, they become part of your routine. If they take their life, that's just like them leaving you like, out of nowhere. You don't want to see that happen. So you take them on. And it, I'm not going to lie, it is draining. It is draining a lot. But like I said, if it's the right person, you'll do anything. You'll move heaven and earth for them like I did. You know, I, I was there from night and day, any time of night. I mean, any time of day. My phone was always on. They could call, they could text, they could tell me that they needed anything. I would pull up. It does take a lot, but I don't know. Just in my eyes, it was worth it because I haven't lost anyone yet. Yeah. Not even, we're going to draw back, we're going to pull away from suicide, we're going to go so far into the depths and bring everybody down. But um, when you're when you're dealing with people who suffer from some type of mental illness, even if it's something that you don't know, like you don't know what it is, you don't know if it's depression, you don't know if they're dealing with bipolar or uh, borderline personality or schizophrenia or, or any of those, because there's so much out there. There's so many different... Um, mental disorders out there. Uh, like, you know, they're saying that, you know, if you're a transgender, you're suffering from some type of mental disorder. If you're homosexual or lesbian or, or gay, you're suffering from some type of mental disorder. Um, my personal feeling on that is I think some are, I don't think all are. And when I say that, I think when I say, I think some are, I think some are because some, they come out, and they're homosexual or whatever, or they've they've begun to uh, to change their sex. And then, like, if you're gay or or lesbian, like, some time goes by, and then you stop, and then you're back to being straight. And I think it was just the for me personally. I think that's just the phase. That's just my personal opinion. I'm not a doctor. I'm not anything like that. That's just my personal opinion. And then you have some people who actually who go through the the gender reassignment and, and sex change or whatever. Um, I don't know the correct term for it, but they go through that. And then like they've, they've started or they've actually done work that is irreversible or if it's not irreversible, it's hard to reverse. It's expensive to reverse. And they just wake up one day and it's like, what did I do? This is not me. And um, you know, they have a hard time dealing with that and some commit suicide so I think that in that way, yes, um, like Dwayne Wade's son and everything that's going on with that, because of his age, I think that, you know, if he wants, if they wanted to do that, if he wants to live that type of lifestyle at that age, hey, let him do that. Let him explore who he is. Right. But don't, I like, I'm not going to say what Lil Boosie said, because he went like to the extreme, oh, whoa, yeah. oh, but, whoa. but don't, 
I, I kind of agree with it. Like, don't don't do anything that's irreversible right now. Until like, he can make his own decision. Yeah. Until okay, the brand is like fully it. developed. Mm-hmm, I see but then, it. like, for some, or not even for some, for a lot of them, I don't think it's a mental. Uh, I don't think it's a mental illness. Like, some are making that decision after they've they've lived life and they're and they're coming out like, this is who I am. This is how. This is what I feel comfortable doing, and this is really me. Like in those cases. Yeah, I don't. I don't think it's. I don't think it's. It's any type of mental illness. Like that is who you are, and you, you've lived life, and you've you've experienced things, and you are capable of making that decision, um, on your own, without any any outside interference. Like I said, there's there's the mental health thing. You can talk about it for hours at a time, hours at a time. Like you can be fine one day, and then you can wake up and you can go through something and and. Now you are part of the mental health statistics. Um, so I don't think that's another reason why I think that we should be more open to getting that treatment and to getting that help. And we shouldn't be ready to to lay this stigma on people because they are suffering from whatever they're suffering from, because membership in the club is not exclusive. It is not. Anybody can anybody can join that club at any time. It is not at any time um, in the military. We have people that go overseas and and not even overseas. Things happen like um, on state side as well. And the next thing you know, they're they're dealing with something that has changed their life. And now they're you you go over overseas. You got all your you got two legs, two arms, five fingers on one hand, five fingers on the other hand, uh, ten toes. You got all your limbs. You got all your 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 appendages or whatever you want to call it. And then you're on a mission. It takes one mission for you to go out and your whole life has changed. And now you're going back home with no legs or you're going back home blinded or, or without the use of your hand or something like that. And now you have to rediscover how to live life in a, in a, in a different way. And it can hit people real hard. So now you are part of the the depression club or, you you lose a loved one that you were very very close to. Now you and your grief turns into depression. So don't get it twisted when I say you know people grieve and then they get over it and they're fine, so they're not really depressed. Sometimes you can you can fall into grief and you just don't get out of it. And now you are you are part of the the statistics when it comes to depression. Like we can all be there. A lot of us are there and don't know it. I think that especially in the black community that a lot of our stuff goes untreated because of the stigma of talking to somebody. I don't want to talk to anybody, especially if they don't know me. Why am I going to tell somebody? Why am I going to pay you so I can tell you my business so we don't do that? And I think that that is very, that's hindering us as well. Right. You're a stranger. How how, how are you going to know me? You don't know me. You don't know where I've been from. So how would you ever relate to me? Why should I spill what mm-hmm. I've been feeling over months or maybe even years to you? Yeah. And I think a lot of us don't realize how helpful that is, how therapeutic that is. I've talked to a therapist. I advocate for talking to therapists. Even if you don't think that you have some type of depression, even if you think everything is fine, there's there's something that you that you can benefit from just by going in there and just decompressing to somebody that's not going to judge you somebody who doesn't know your everyday life. So they're, um, 
they're a neutral party, so they can tell you, hey, unbiased. Yep. You you might be overstepping your bounds in this area. You can pull it back or or try this to to work on uh, X, Y, and Z. Whereas you know, you talking to like someone else who knows you, they have a a preconceived notion of of who you are. So sometimes they don't give you uh, the best advice. They they want to tell you what you want to hear because they're your friend or something like that. Mm-hmm. So I advocate for for going to talk to a therapist. Most I think definitely. more people should do it. Yeah, I have friends that they they told me that they went to therapy and they didn't plan on staying in it as long as they did. But once they started it, they just were like, "I want to stick with it because this is my outlet. Mm-hmm. This is my yeah. journal. This is my ear that I can talk to with no judgment or anything like that. This is where I can be. This is my safe place." Me on that couch and them listening. Yep, it is definitely, definitely an outlet. It's definitely something that that really helps. It, like I said, it helped me. Um, I know we have family members who suffer from like anxiety and all that stuff, and and I think talking to a therapist helps them at times. So if you don't do it, I would suggest that you uh, make an attempt to. If you can afford it, everybody can't afford a therapist, and that is that's unfortunate. But very, very. Some people, some people should look into it. Some people really need it. Like you have people who, who have gone to to war, not not, and because we've been at war for a long time, or we've been in some type of conflict, even if it's not officially a war anymore. We're, we've we've been in some type of conflict, and a lot of people don't come back and use the services that that are free to them and it's it's a shame because it can help them like your your pride can eventually be your downfall and especially in the case of mental health it is your downfall most most definitely, um, most definitely. but a lot of people do and like i said with with my hobbies that that i've um that i've learned to to do as my outlet a lot of people have other hobbies where they draw they have their dreams and then they write down what they see and it helps them because a lot of people have very, very vivid dreams about what they've gone through, what they went through, and not just like war veterans. Like it could be an everyday, everyday life. Rape victims have PTSD. Uh, domestic violence victims have PTSD. You can have PTSD from a bad car accident. Mm-hmm. You know, children get PTSD from uh, being inside the home of abusive parents and they grow up untreated and they become abusive parents. Or they become people who cannot integrate in society and they're out there killing and all this other crazy stuff. Um, I have a, I have a stat. I meant to uh, say just the numbers. It really it was really interesting to me. It said half of the mental disorders begin before the age of 14, according to the World Health Organization. That's really, really eye-opening. Because think about a 14-year-old, that's, he's just he or she is just getting their feet wet in middle school. And plus they have puberty. Plus, they have mood swings. They have all that going on. And imagine if they did have a mental illness on top of that. Mm-hmm. So it's going to start. I honestly think it's going to start at home, bridging the gap between parents and kids. Because if they can't recognize the signs, then it's just going to carry on longer and longer and longer. If it's not dealt yeah, with I at think... the youth. Go ahead. Mm-hmm. Go ahead. No, go ahead. Finish it. If it's uh if it's not developed if it's not handled at the youth age I, that's how it continues to get worse if they don't make it seem like we're we're open to talking 
Let me know what's going on in your mind. What's going on in your head. You're, you're young. We know that. But you still have feelings. You still have thoughts. That's the type of communication that needs to be going on when they're this young because it sets the foundation. When they're 16 and 17 year old, they're going to remember, I could talk to them about anything. They let me know that when I was young. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. Yeah, I think um, what you said with it starting that young, a lot of parents don't recognize the signs because um, in some households, you know, kids start acting out or whatever. And it's like, what's wrong with you? And you think it's a disciplinary problem. So you start disciplining them. And then when you're disciplining them, you're ignoring the real problem mm-hmm. of, you know, them possibly possibly being depressed because there's so much going on at the time. And uh, like kids today are smart. They're not like kids back in from back in the day. Like they're computer savvy. They have iPods. They have mm-hmm. um, iPhones and all this other crap. I didn't have any of that when I was a kid. I didn't have, I didn't have an iPod text, or, right? or stuff like that. So right. um, they're not they're not they're not stupid. They're smarter than they're not as smart as adults, but in some aspects they are. And they're like exposed you just for a lot. Look more. at the the math problems that they're doing now. It's it's crazy. So they're dealing with a lot of different things that uh the parents weren't dealing with when they were that age. And the parents can't you can't you can't you can't really understand it because like when you were that age, I wasn't doing all this stuff. Now these kids are doing all these things. Like even with the COVID stuff and everybody's doing homeschool and they're using like social media and zoom and all other stuff. Like if this happened when I was a kid, we just didn't have schoolwork. Probably there just wouldn't be schoolwork Cancel the school year. And that's mm-hmm. a wrap. Right. Or they'd be sending like packets, physical packets of paperwork. You would have to come to school every week to get those every Monday, get your packet, do your little paperwork, drop it off Friday and get your grade. Like we, mm-hmm. there's no zoom. There's no building PowerPoints and all that, all oh, that different stuff. Pen and pen so, and paper, pen and paper. Yep. That's it. So kids are kids are dealing with a lot more these days. And I don't think a lot of parents are equipped to deal with it because they're dealing with stuff as well. Like there's like I said, there's parents out here who are suffering from mental illness and don't know it or don't want to admit it. And they and that's can't, another thing. They can't um, go years. They go can't they can't deal with anything that um they really can't deal with it if they never got over it when they were younger. Cause my parent, like my parents or that whole generation, if they were going some, if they were going through something like that, they were probably told to shake it off or no, you're not just told, no, you're not. You're all right. You're mm-hmm. fine. So yep. when you're told that when you have your offspring, that's just going to trickle down to them. So I can't blame the parents entirely, but we do have to start the conversation somewhere and have to have some accountability. Yeah. Yeah. It- uh, most people go like years. I think it's like the average is like 10 years before people admit that something might be wrong. And that's that's crazy because those are years of your life that you've just wasted. You've wasted. You could have been addressing that problem and you, you could have had a better 10 years instead of just wasting it and just trying to drive on and suck it up. It's not something you can just push off. It's going to take time. You can't just... There's no magic pill. There's no secret remedy. It's gonna take work. And it's gonna take love. You know what I mean? So yeah. Um. So how do you? What do you think can change the the uh, the mindset of people? What do you think can change the the direction? Conversation, point blank, period. Yep. Communication is gonna be, and I don't mean 
I know I'm internet savvy. I do have social media and all that. But I mean, sit down face to face in the same room talking about it. Because I'm on social media all the time. I see the I'm not feeling it and y'all don't know what I'm going through. And they'll tweet that and they'll get about like a thousand retweets. So if all these other people are feeling it, why don't we all get together and talk about it instead of retweeting it or liking it or reposting it? Think Mm -hmm. about it. If you see a tweet that says, I don't want to see tomorrow, and it has 12.5 retweets and 1.5 thousand likes, if all these people are feeling the same way, that's a problem. And it's an issue that needs to be discussed in person, not over the phone. I don't know. It's just me because I like talking face to face. I really don't like talking over the phone. I don't like texting that much when it's about a serious issue. I want to be with you. I want you to feel my emotions. I want you to see my emotions in my eyes so that you know that I care about you and that I want to fix this. So the conversation needs to be started. It's not going to get better. I hope it doesn't get worse, but hey, who knows? If we continue to stay silent, just because it's a tough conversation does not mean it does not need to be had. Is my whole point. Exactly. I feel you on that. Um, I agree. I think um, it needs to be, the stigma needs to go away. Like if I come out and say that, hey, I'm feeling depressed, I'm feeling down, I need people to react the proper way. Pull me to the side, have a conversation with me. You know, because sometimes that's all it takes is a conversation. And and exactly and everything, it's not going to be fine. But but you can you can change the the course of someone's um someone's life or whatever their intentions was. You can change the course just with a conversation, right? And it's as and, simple as that. And you have to have patience because it's not going to get fixed right there at that conversation piece moment. Mm-hmm. Just because yeah. you say, "What's going on with you? What do you need?" It's not that simple. It's mm-hmm. not, it's just not. It's not going to be an uh, a reply that I give to you, and you're going to have the magical answer to fix everything. Because it's not. If it was that simple, we wouldn't have a mental illness problem. But it's not that exactly. simple. Exactly. It's not an answer exactly. that you can give me that's going to automatically make me feel better. Just like that. It's not that simple. So what I'm saying to, to everybody out there is, you're not alone. Because I know there's many, there's many more than that being reported. I know there is. So if we start the conversation now, think about how the next person who hears this podcast or reads the next article is going to feel with, oh, I'm not alone. Maybe I will inch out there and start saying how I'm feeling. You know what I mean? So it's all, it's all going to start with communication because if it stays, stays quiet, it's just going to get worse and worse to the point where the stigma is going to reach a boiling point and then nobody's going to be talking about anything. And that's when we're really going to have a problem. Yeah, exactly. All right, young man. Um, we're going to, we're going to bring this episode to a close. Um, so like I said, the topic was mental health. Uh, it's something that we can go on and on about because there's a lot of different things that we haven't even touched on. We just mainly focus on depression, but you know, there's alcoholism, there's uh PTSD and, so so many other things that that can be discussed. So I think this is probably going to be an ongoing discussion. But we're going to take a break from it for a little bit. I know the last three episodes have been very 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 serious. 
but we're gonna we're gonna try to change directions um next week and drop one for Father's Day. Um, hopefully you'll come back for that. Um, most definitely, most definitely. We're gonna get into uh, relationships. That's Ooh, that's gonna yeah, be an yeah, interesting yeah. one. Oh, yes, um, sir. A little bit of sports. A lot of like I said, a lot of, a lot of different things are happening. And I'm I'm trying to I'm gonna try to to change directions for the next couple episodes. A little bit more lively. A little bit more uh, debating. So thank you for uh, listening and and staying with us. I definitely want to thank everybody that's been supporting so far. I mean, we've had. I've had listeners in Brazil, Hungary, Canada, as well as the United States. That's crazy. Didn't didn't think that I would be reaching out that far. So definitely thank you for your support. The Subtle Thoughts Podcast, we're on Apple Podcasts, we're on Google Podcasts, uh, we're on Overcast, Pocket Cast, Radio Public, Spotify, a lot of different platforms. So definitely um, you know, subscribe, like, share, leave a rating, leave a comment, a review. Definitely appreciate all the feedback, whether it's negative, whether it's positive. Third episode, so definitely still trying to grow, still trying to learn, still trying to make things better for you. Uh, you want to give a you want to give a shout out to anybody? Uh, let's see here. Well, first and foremost, I don't know if anybody follows me on my social media, but I do want to give a shout out to everyone who showed up at the Clarksburg protests last Sunday. We made history, and it was a it was it was just beautiful. It was amazing to be a part of. I'm glad I was a part of it. So I just want to give out give a shout out to everyone who uh, was involved in that and any of the other protests. There have been so many down here in Montgomery County. So I just want to give a shout out to them. Shout out to my family, of course. Uh, yesterday, Black Girl Magic Sprinkles. We officially sold out of the first round of books that was delivered to my sister's house. So we are now working on the second round of books getting shipped to the house so we can send out more orders. So keep ordering books. I'm so proud of my sister and my niece. No, no doubt. No doubt. All right, man. Uh, so you have a good rest of your day. Uh, I'll hit you up later. All right, man. Thank you. All right, guys. Um, before I get out of here, I definitely want to give a shout out to a longtime friend of mine, uh, Miss Alexia Gonzalez, who's doing great things with the Kind Passion Project. It is something that she has spearheaded and it is about all things positive. Definitely bringing some light into this world right now. We definitely need that. You can go check her out, follow her through her journey uh, with veganism, as well as bringing awareness to animal cruelty and climate change, amongst other things. She's also an author. So we're coming up on a year now since her book, her children's book, Jaxie Save the Animals, has been uh, released. You can check that out and pick it up on amazon.com uh great read for everybody that's listening that has kids who um loves animals obviously so be sure to check her out support that and um i'll see you guys next week